What's going on, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and with me is a man who, last week, the 5-1 defeat to Frankfurt made him feel a bit like a festive Grinch, but the 3-0 win against Stuttgart made his heart grow two sizes. It's Lewis. I don't know what you're talking about. You said that your intro was so bad, and now it's... That, that, was, that was lovely. Come on, I thought... I thought that I was, that was going to, it wasn't Peter Drury, but it was it was getting there. Come on, give yourself a little bit of credit. I was expecting something way way boring. Like, come on, we started out this podcast with the shabby to my Iniesta. <laughs> Look how far we've come, making Grinch <laughs> references in a football podcast. Exactly. But without further ado, our topics for this week include the Bayern turnaround, as Billy alluded to in our intro, as well as how long do Dortmund give Edin Terzic? It doesn't seem to be looking all that good. Then we will finish off our Bundesliga segment with the league-wide protests against the DFL or the DFL. Moving over to the Premier League, we will have a look at Liverpool United and all of the little goodies that came along with that game. And then we'll have a look at the champions, our city, just drunk off their successes from the previous season. But before we get into that, we have to take a somber moment and say that we are all in our thoughts with the family of Tom Lockyer and all of his friends after he suffered cardiac arrest on the pitch playing for Luton Town. We hope he has a speedy recovery. Well, you said it in the intro. The destruction and resurrection of Bayern in the space of a week. And you said to me after two minutes of this game that the 5-1 came at a horrible, horrible time for Stuttgart. Yeah, I mean, if if the history books are anything to go by, usually what happens after Bayern are down and out, there is the so-called, uh, in German it was called Wutmotor, which means the anger motor, and that was thrown into full gear against Stuttgart because Stuttgart can thank their lucky stars that they were only down 1-0 at halftime. So just explain this to me, because it uh, I wasn't watching, but I saw it flash up that a goal, 2-0 Thomas Muller, and then it went to half-time, and then goal ruled out Thomas Muller. So what exactly happened with that second goal? Well, it was ruled for offside, but it would have been the last kick of the game. So basically, they, they looked at it, it would have been offside, and then the it wasn't the timing that, that was weird about that one. It was the fact that at some point, everyone or the, the news got out that the, the cameras weren't working properly to basically assist VAR. So in Munich, they were more or less without it for the whole match. Which meant that they were relying completely on the, you know, the basically the decision-making by the referees on pitch. And I'm going to be completely honest. I wouldn't be able to tell you where exactly there would have been a foul on Min Jae Kim's first goal. Um, it was in the end, it was yes, it was ruled for offside, but it was also very hard to see from the camera angles that you got on TV. So questions to be asked. 
I wouldn't say it's a complete VAR fuck up as we as we always love to, you know, hammer on VAR on this podcast. But it 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 doesn't put VAR in the best light, especially when you have a game between two clubs within the top 3. You know, it it wasn't a low profile match. It was a pretty high stakes game. Incidentally, the last time that Stuttgart and Bayern face each other within the top 3 during a Bundesliga match where basically both were placed within the top three at the time was 2010. Well, no one wants to hear about a Bayern win, despite Harry Kane scoring <laughs> twice and Kim Min Jae getting a goal. We want to talk about the 5-1 battering, pummeled by Eintracht Frankfurt the week before. Yeah. And for everyone else, that's hilarious. It's nice to see, you know, the league not being dominated completely, particularly with how good Leverkusen are as well. Yeah. But not so much the fallout on the pitch. It was the fallout afterwards, really, with a lack of leaders facing up to media questions. Yeah, because, I mean, Thomas Müller is the only person standing in front of the cameras. Um you know, answering the reporter's questions. And I mean, that's probably the most brutal job, if we're being honest, is having to stand there after a 5-1 defeat and basically say, yeah, this was wrong, this was wrong, this was crap, this was awful. Um, You know, basically putting a finger in the wound, so to speak, uh, or rubbing salt in the wounds, really. And it's, you know, Thomas Miller was brought on in the 60-something minute when it was already 5-1 anyway. Which, to me, in effect, the game that Thomas Müller played, where he actually had some influence on the game, it was nil-nil. So to then have him be the only player who was basically man enough to stand his ground in front of cameras is a little bit shocking. The one good thing that I could say is that uh, Leon Goretzka still appeared on um, the as a guest for the uh, Sportschau, which is basically like the German version of match of the day um, and answered questions there, which was also good that, you know, he didn't just immediately say, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Incidentally, also um, the sporting director, because Freund also went on to the sport one um, Doppelpass, which is also basically like a football talk show um, on Sunday. So basically the day after and also answer questions. So that's good. But, you know, at the end of the day, my biggest critique in that point is that Manuel Neuer isn't standing in front of the cameras and saying, you know what, this was awful. And we have to take responsibility for it. It can't be that the only senior player taking responsibility right after the match is Thomas Müller, who is getting subbed on and has already had a rough go of it under Thomas Tuchel, incidentally. You know, Eric Maxine Chupomuting is getting on the team sheet before Thomas Müller at this point, with the exception uh, of the Stuttgart game. Well, he is going to be signing that contract extension, though. That was... Yeah, but I mean, where, today, else, but where else is this guy going to go? There's no way he's going anywhere else. We did have this discussion a couple episodes back that... Exactly. Where would he go? Where would Manuel Neuer go? So... I think, look, it's it's a blip, isn't it? I don't know whether you could blame it on not playing the week before, but 
Union also didn't play the week before and they beat Gladbach 3 1. Well, I mean, I think that Thomas Tuchel also didn't give the best uh, or put himself in the best of light because he literally put it down to maybe some of this was my fault. You know, I had um, Bayern ready for a um, back four and not a back five. And then when we saw the team sheet a half hour early or a half hour before the game, it looked like it was going to be a back five. So I tried to give the players some uh, more tactical um, insights for a back five. And then they ended up playing a back four in the game again. He was like, yeah, maybe I should have just not, you know, tried to give them too much information ahead of a game. And I was like, first of all, if you're not preparing for, you know, a few scenarios, then you should be asking some questions of yourself. And second of all, I mean, if that's the only thing that you're going to say, he he started talking about expected goals after that game and being like, uh, yeah, we had expected no. goals and this and that. And like expected goals is a pure statistic. It doesn't mean jack. Expected goals is like saying, oh, but we were the better team. It's like, exactly. Well, it's like saying we had more possession, but we still lost. Like at the end of the day, you still lost because you didn't take your chances. Like, yeah, you... I mean, that if you're going to talk about the expected goals, talk about the fact that, yeah, we had expected goals at like five and we only scored one and conceded five. That means we had a shit day at the office. Then you can talk about expected goals. But don't talk to me about how, oh, yeah, expected goals this. Um, it was, yeah, it, it, you know, we, we had we definitely had more chances and we, we should have won that game. But, you know, yeah, okay, we, we conceded a few too many. Like, no, that's not that's not the reason why. It was the worst defensive play i've seen from bayern in a in a long time it there was very little going forward and then what you would expect from the team who were down 3-1 at halftime after going down 3-0 in the space of about a half hour um you'd expect them to be come roaring out of the gates and trying to do something and trying to get those two goals back Instead, they concede the four-one relatively quickly. Oh, also, you know, the last team to beat Bayern five-one. I track Frankfurt. <laughs> so, uh, and just, just, just remind us, Billy, what happened at the end of that season? No, because it takes away from the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> <laughs> well, then make the point, and then I'm going to go and take a dump on it because. I, because I yes, can. Yes, yes, yes. Your manager got <laughs> a sack and you won everything that season. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay, but please, by all means, do make your point after you've now taken it up on your own stage. It wasn't so much a point. It was pointing out the fact that, you know, the same team is beating you 5-1 in a space of, well, I want to I want to say two seasons, but it's like four. Which makes yeah, me... don't, don't remind me about the fact that, you know, since the pandemic, there have now almost been four years. Yeah. Exactly. That 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 that's about you know my my sentiments exactly. Let's move away from one manager possibly not putting himself in the best light. Let's talk about the protests that went on because it, it is a criticism that sometimes the Bundesliga isn't as well marketed as say La Liga or definitely the Premier League. You know, particularly when they lose the likes of Haaland and Bellingham. Yeah. But the vote that happened last week has led to well, they're silent twelve minute protests at every game this match week. Uh and you know, 
fans have thrown tennis balls. They've thrown fake money. Um, Asano picked up some chocolate coins and put them in his sock at the weekend against Union, which I thought was a lovely touch. Oh. But for those that haven't seen or that don't know, can you just explain what happened and why those protests are happening? Well, basically, the DFL or the German Football League um, have voted, and this is basically the organization that have um, or that have that hold the power over the Bundesliga and the leagues below. They've basically voted now um, in accordance with all of the thirty-six member clubs of the first and second Bundesliga to allow for outside investment uh into the Bundesliga which means that we could also be seeing things like a um like a sponsorship in the Bundesliga um for the broadcasting rights something like the Barclays Premier League or now how it is EAFC La Liga if I'm not much mistaken um so like previously like uh, La Liga Santander and yeah exactly so we could we could be seeing something like this um but it is not exact it's not completely clear as to what the investment would be it most likely will be for the broadcasting rights but um it could also be in other areas the main issue that most of the fans have is basically the fact that german football is going to be losing its credibility um as being you know the fans game and I th- and for me, the main issue is that the DFL made this decision without trying to consult the fans. I think that was a major, major mistake on their part because, of course, the clubs are always going to want money and want more money. But if you had also tried and you know gotten fan representatives on board with this whole thing, you wouldn't have had the protests that you saw day in, day out over this whole match day. So it's obviously fan-led. It's not club-led revolt. Yeah. <laughs> from the outside, and looking from a from a league perspective, is this not a good thing, or is it not not good? But is it sort of leaning towards the positive side? I think you have to look at this from two perspectives. And for me as a fan, definitely, I think one of the um, one of the main things things that you have to do is still realize that without the atmosphere from Bundesliga matches, you have a worse product, so to speak, than some of the other leagues. Because at the end of the day, you just have to say that the money um, has just gone mostly Bayern's way in the sense that they're the ones winning everything. And the gap between Bayern and the rest of the league is just going to keep on growing and it has kept on growing for the last decade. Um, in that sense, the fans do definitely give the Bundesliga some edge over the rest of the competition because the atmosphere is just by a country mile way better than the rest of the atmosphere that you find in Europe's top five leagues and is not even close. So... If you're going to anger the people who are in charge of making the Bundesliga that basically that product that is different from the rest and they're the reason for the Bundesliga being different for the rest, 
then I think that's a major mistake. All that being said, if you look at the fact that the Bundesliga has just not been marketed as well as the Premier League and La Liga, and even to a certain extent, Ligue 1, um, you have to say that it's going to be inevitable. We're not, or, you know, we're not going to be seeing things like in the Premier League where fans are going to be priced out. I still think that that's going to be a very, um, in that sense, that the German football identity will be preserved. But I think that if you keep on trying to keep this pr- this this traditional aspect of German football and saying, you know, the 50 plus one rule, we, we have to keep and everything has to stay the same. If you don't start making little concessions like this, because it it wasn't an issue of we're going to get rid of the 50 plus one rule. It was just an issue of are we going to allow for outside investment into the league as a whole and not into clubs specifically. And if you don't start somewhere trying to get more money in through outside investment, then you will just fall behind. And I think we've seen that in the fact that even Bayern haven't managed to be a driving force in Europe that they were about a decade ago because other teams like Manchester City who just have that financial backing are starting to eclipse them because at some point money is going to do the talking on a football pitch. And yeah. Sorry, but that's, that's the thing. Is it not worth taking that sort of hit to the pride of, of a diehard fan? Because obviously they're still going to be there making the atmosphere. I'm not suggesting they're going Definitely, to be priced yeah. out or or anything like that. It's not going to change the way that German football clubs are run. There's just going to be a bit more money coming in from broadcasting rights or from sponsorship rights because it'll be something like the AT&T Bundesliga or something. Exactly. I think if I think I think the main concern is the fact that when you start there, where does it stop? more than you know the actual investment being made because um well it just does pave that it paves the way because you know you've never had that type of outside investment that's a that's a uh premier decision being taken by the dfl um you've never had that before with the bundesliga so you know who can say that you know the Uh, 50 plus one rule couldn't get scrapped i think there would be a massive issue if if it did i don't think they'll ever get rid of that but i think the next logical step is to sponsor the uh, the DFB uh, Poco Cup competition. Like yeah, we've had have, the, I mean, exactly. we've had the Emirates uh, FA Cup. You know, we've got we've had the, the Carabao Cup, Cup. Yeah. the Carabao Cup, which has gone through like it's gone from everything from Coca Cola to Carling to Zenith Data Systems back in the nineties. So, oh, Carling Cup, that was Carling that was, Cup. Those were the those were the days. Two thousand and six. Oh, exactly, Carling Cup. But yeah, I think. In in my opinion, I can I can understand maybe the fact that the fans weren't basically included in the decision making because they are just such a massive part that should have been done. But I still think that if the German or if German football wants to keep moving forward, at some point you're gonna have to have that money conversation. And I am one hundred percent backing the fact that you don't sell your soul and and you know completely axe the 50 plus one rule but you have to still think about the concessions that can be made 
in the form of you know these types of resolutions where you can still get outside investment in because at some point it will just be too big of a gap in terms of finances between the Bundesliga and the rest of the top five um, clubs in Europe, top five leagues in Europe. Sorry, and it's no, just, I, if, I, if that's if that happens, then you might as well just kiss it goodbye, and then you have to you, th- then you really have to be okay with the fact that your team is just going to have a no say in European titles and European competition. Um, but you know, you still kept your fan identity and stuff. If that's the issue, then keep on the road that you are. But if you want to see German football still being internationally relevant and attracting top talent and not just talent, but also top players, then you're going to have to make a concession somewhere. Exactly. It's not like they're expecting the Classica to be played in America. No, no, no. You know, because that would be realistically the only game that gets played there. No offense to Bochum or Augsburg, but no one's going to film MetLife Stadium to see to see that game. But that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not what's being done. It will probably result in a league name sponsorship, like the Barclays Premier League. Like, yeah. um, it's such a ridiculous one, but Uber Eats League One. Yeah, I really don't. I really don't like that. I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. What I was a fan of was Domino's League Two, but because um, <laughs> it just sounds so simple. Oh, it, it really does. Yeah. That's the fan protest in the Bundesliga. Let us know. Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's a good thing for German football to have a sponsor bring in more money for all clubs? But now let's talk Premier League. And I know you were seriously dreading the last few matches. You know, you had Bayern and Liverpool in the space of about five days. And I'd argue that most United fans were soiling their their pants, for lack of a better word. But was it one of those nil-nils where you were like, oh, that, that, that feels like a win. That feels like a win today. Um, I don't think it feels like a win. Let's not let's not suggest that we've fallen that far just yet. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um I think it was a good result for United. Let's not let's not skirt around that. Particularly, you know, with the amount of injuries, horrifically out of form. Yeah. Nothing seems to be going ten hogs way at the moment. And yeah, okay. They rattled Liverpool. 7,000 more Scousers in that new expanded stand. And yet the atmosphere was pitiful. For a game of that size, you could only hear, for, for a large part of that game, you could only hear the away section. Well, you say rattle Liverpool. I think Virgil van Dijk's comments post-match were quite telling of what United really did with that team because he literally came out and said um there was only one team trying to win today well, and yeah he, he said there was only one team trying to win the game we were superior in all aspects they are buzzing with a point yeah and I've got issues with that I take issues with that because very very true words from Roy Keane on this as well. <laughs> I know, love that rebuttal, by the way. It's, it's an arrogance from Virgil van Dijk, considering that Liverpool have one title in 30 years. 
And for years, Liverpool were absolutely terrible. But my other, my other point I, I take with that as well, if, if Liverpool were, was so good on Sunday, why didn't they win? Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if Mo Salah and Luis Diaz and Darwin Nunez were so fantastic and you know, if Dominic Soboslai was was on, on at the peak of his game, why why didn't they beat pitiful, pitiful Manchester United? And one one moment sums it up. There was a moment in the second half where I think it's Amrabat goes in to block a shot and takes out Diaz, I think it might might have been Luis Diaz, and Darwin Nunez just stops running. If he carries on running after that ball, he can tap it into an empty net. But he stops running, expecting there to be a penalty given. Well, I mean, hear, it, also, it goes to show why he hasn't scored in the last 10, 10 games that he's had in all, across all competitions. So Exactly. I mean, Not scored in 10 games in all competitions. And yet I'm supposed to sit here and have people tell me that Rasmus Hoyland is this horrendous flop. Yeah, okay, he's not scored in the Premier League. You would have liked him to have done that. He's got five goals in the Champions League. He's joint top scorer in the Champions League. Okay, United aren't in it anymore, so he won't be <laughs> top scorer in the Champions League for much longer. But he's scored this season. He scored in the last 10 games. Yeah, but I, I'd still argue the fact that, you know, I think I think that argument would be more valid if he had like two or three goals in the Premier League, but having no goals in the Premier League kind of it's a little I mean Hoyland has definitely not performed into the in the sense that you would think, but I'd still argue that that is more down to the fact that he has just come into a horrendous atmosphere at that club. Um but you know, th- all that aside, if you have a look at what United have been through, you know, that 3-0 last weekend to Bournemouth, especially. I don't know why Liverpool are so annoyed about the fact that they're that United are happy with a point. Because at the end of the day, that's just that just goes to show that Liverpool, one, are rattled, and two, are extremely pissed that they didn't get more out of that game. And they're now looking to blame someone or something that isn't them for that performance. And that just doesn't show, you know, the greatest character. If you, if you have to lash out after a nil, nil, first of all, you didn't lose that game. You still drew it. And second of all, if you have to, if you have to lash out like that and not say, you know, we maybe have to look at, you know, our finishing or why we didn't, we didn't, you know, force more from a struggling United team, then maybe you shouldn't, you know, maybe maybe that's that just shows how how much it really meant. And I think you know, if if you're Liverpool, you should be looking at yourself rather than looking at the other at the opposition after that after a game like that. It's just it's just too little. Um, one scene in particular had me a little nonplussed, not gonna lie, and that was Diego Dallo's red card oh you mean the moment michael oliver decided to make the entire match about him <laughs> okay how much was that said through uh united fan goggles just oh it's come from a very bitter jaded place 
with <laughs> deep, deep within me. Yeah, I cannot stand him, man. He's a Newcastle fan for starters. <laughs> so I, I take umbrage with this because Darwin Nunez in the first half elbowed, like, just swung an elbow at Johnny Evans, got booked for that. But after the whistle had gone, he hoofed the ball into the crowd just out of frustration yeah. well it, i think it ended up going in going in the goal actually but just sort of hoofed it away out of frustration which is an act of dissent yeah which if we're going off the letters of the law is another yellow card and he should have been sent off so diogo dallo it's like the last knock into the game it's like 93rd minute out of 94 or something like that up against salah the ball comes off salah so it should have been the united throw anyway oh yeah, yeah definitely michael oliver gives a throw to liverpool dallo reacts you know, throws his arms about, which we see all the time and it doesn't get punished. Yeah. All the yeah. time. Michael Oliver decides to book him. Okay, fine. That's it. That's that's the act of descent. Until the ball is back in play, that is the act of descent. Dallow then reacts like, again, because he's been booked. And Michael Oliver gives him a second yellow card in the space of a matter of seconds, which is not the first time Michael Oliver has done this. Yeah. Michael Oliver also did it to Gabriel Martinelli against Wolves a couple seasons ago. There was a foul. I was about to say, we, had this, we even had this as a topic of conversation, conversation a few episodes ago. Runs down and fouls again. It's like you got one yellow card for there and one yellow card for there. So, okay, fine. Slightly different because it's two fouls. But I'd argue only one of them was worthy of a yellow card. Same as the act yeah. of descent. It's not like the ball had come back into play and then he said whatever he said to Michael Oliver. And then you've got Dermot Gallagher on Ref Watch on Sky saying, oh, well, if we're going off the letter of the law, then clearly... It's <laughs> referees is just a, a closed, uh, closed, closed off club. You can't criticise a referee. You can't say anything about a referee because you'll get fined or unless you're Mikel Arteta and you'll get away with it. Absolutely baffling that he got away with that. Oh, did you see that? I sent I sent this to you on Instagram. Was the fact was how the 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 lawyers got him off of that? Absolutely shocking. Because now that sends out a message to every other manager in the Premier League. Crack on, which I think is probably a good thing because they need to be held accountable to it. It didn't cost anything. I mean, it's probably good that Diogo Dallo can't play a game, to be honest, because he's not played very well recently. <laughs> Would much rather see Aaron Wamasaka. Jesus, <laughs> but the the underlying point is Michael Oliver is a bitch with a god complex, and that's all I have to say on the matter. I mean, I don't think I have to add much more to that. Just just gonna leave that as the final bit for Liverpool versus United. Just one last question, though. Do you think that that has bought Ten Hag enough time, or do you think that he will still be on the hot seat for a potential sacking in the coming month? Well, the results haven't been fantastic, but I don't think a large portion of that's down to the manager. Just look at the reaction to Tottenham and Newcastle. Now they've got a, a large injury list. It's oh, let's get the violins out and let's let's put our arms around Ange and Eddie Howe and. Oh yeah, but they played. They played well given given the injuries that they've got. Oh, Tottenham lost that game to Wolves, but they've they've got a lot of injuries. Bless them, got a lot of injuries. 
And yet when we've got a lot of injuries or when United have a lot of injuries, it's, oh, well, they've spent three billion pounds since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. I think, obviously, it's a, it's always going to be in a spotlight because of, because of who the club are. It's just going to be in the spotlight all the time. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Harry Maguire, a renaissance of Harry Maguire. Against Bayern Munich, something goes in his groin. So that's now Harry Maguire gone. Just got Luke Shaw back. Christian Eriksen's back in training. Mason Mount is still out. So I don't think it's the right thing. Of course, there's going to be pressure on him to get results because it's Manchester. He's the manager at the end of the day, yeah. He's the manager and it's Manchester United. So, but until that part ownership thing gets sorted, I don't think they'll do anything. Because if they sack him, and Ineos come in and go, why the fuck didn't you do that? Who told you you could do that? You know, you, we've agreed that we're taking sporting control. Why have you done that? Yeah, yeah. And they go, well, if you're if you're going to do things like that, we'll pull out. So, well, I mean, then I guess the takeover couldn't be coming at a better time for Ten Hag. Um, do let us know in the comments, should the Manchester United players be getting more heat from this? Is Manchester United being treated differently from the other top clubs in the Premier League when it comes to injuries? But we will have a look at their sky blue neighbors from across the city. And because I've already said it, City. Drunk off their successes from the previous season? Yes or no? Just a quick one. Well, it's, it's difficult. It's like. I said a quick one, Billy. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, it was a yes or no question. <laughs> it was like that politician's video. You know, it was like, I'm shutting your ass taxes. down. Yes or no? <laughs> yes or well, no. Well, we were getting no. Just, no, just a yes, yes or, or no, no answer. <laughs> so I ask again, Bill. City drunk off their successes from previous season? Yes or no? No. Okay, now, now I will I will say elaborate. Please do elaborate. Kevin De Bruyne injured. He's back training now for the Club World Cup. That's that's always gonna gonna hurt. But I think it's a similar argument I've got to people saying, "Oh, but he's the new Zidane," or "Oh, it's the new Messi," or "It's the new Ronaldo." So the minimum you can do is win everything and be the best that there is. Yeah. So I don't think it's a case of being drunk off the previous successes. I think it's more of a case of can't really... How do you improve on that? You win the treble again. Which is an incredible achievement that they had last season. It's also an incredibly difficult thing to do. You know? So... And I see people on Twitter, and we'll talk about like their, their current form or recent form, but people on Twitter trying to like play the sympathy card, like, oh, this is this is the worst football we've ever played. We didn't play this bad under Manuel Pellegrini. Uh, thanks for the memories, Pep, but but I think it's time to go. It's like, what are you on about? As much as I personally would love to see Pep Guardiola leave Manchester City, <laughs> he will go down single-handedly as their best ever manager. Well, yeah, of course. So to see people going, 
after after six bad games. Okay. Six. Oh, we saw it a couple seasons ago. They had a horrendous start to the season and then went unbeaten for like 18 games and beat Liverpool in the last day. It's just because other teams have gotten better. They're not having it all their own way. Yeah, yeah. Which is what we want. <laughs> that that is that is the spectacle that we call football. You know, absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, okay. He talks about City playing good football. The result. Then, though, we, we we'll talk about the current form because you already alluded to it. The specific statistics: only one win in the last six games. They've struggled against the big six. You look at the 4-4 against Chelsea, the 3-all against Spurs, the 1-all draw to Liverpool. They lost to Arsenal. Losing to Arsenal, yeah, okay, it's not that much of a crime. But if you look at the current form of Chelsea and you look at the form that Spurs were in as well at the time, conceding seven goals in those two matches is a little bit much. And then for Pep to come out and be like, yeah, but we still play good football. Like, yeah, I can understand the sentiment that, you know, the manager sees that they've been playing, they, they've been playing, you know, some form of, they, they've had, they've, they've put something on the pitch that Pet wanted from them. And, you know, he says he likes what he sees. But at the end of the day, football is still a results-driven sport. You can play good football all you want. It's still going to sound like someone saying we had 90% possession but uh, yeah, we still lost that game two 0 Possession didn't mean shit. Possession doesn't mean shit. But he's also not going to sit there and go, "Oh, you know, in that three all draw with Spurs, we were shit." Because it's not in his. It's it's never been the way he's done things. As as frustrating as it can be from a media perspective, he's fantastic at protecting his players. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think there's a little bit of fatigue going in there as well. I know they won everything, but you look at what happened to Liverpool the season after they got so close, that just because of the amount of games they played. And now yeah. they're out in Jeddah competing in the Club World Cup, which is just a needless... Don't get me started on that <laughs> new one that starts in 2025. I will have no part of it. Because it's, it's, just, it's essentially more games that players don't want. All because FIFA want a bit more money. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's if 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 we're looking at it right now, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how FIFA deal with this whole thing. But we did talk about this a few episodes ago. So if you would like to hear our exact comments on the amount of games that players are playing and what they think uh, about it and what needs to happen, then do please check that out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts. Um, but yeah, I think yes, I'm I'm definitely going to sound a little bit hypocritical because I did just slam them for their, you know, only one win in six games. But I'd argue that it still has to be the same thing as as Liverpool. But then my question to you is, isn't that being drunk off of the successes for, of the previous season? Is that the same thing? I'd argue it's more fatigue. Yeah, but fatigue—that's just dressing it up as a different in a different phrase. Being drunk off of, off of your successes still means, you know, it doesn't—it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're just, you know, you 
you've said, ah, whatever, we've won everything, but it can also just mean that, you know, yeah, I just don't feel like I can go the same 110% that you need to because of the fatigue of last season. Would you argue those are still two separate things? I don't know. I think there is, you I, know, I would, because, I would because one is a come down and the other is trying to pick yourself back up afterwards, which are two completely different mindsets because it's, it's, it's more motivational. It sounds stupid saying it out loud, but it's arguably more motivational to lose everything and yeah. go, I'm never letting that happen again. Oh, definitely. I mean, what to what then the go, thing? Oh, well I've, I've won this. I, what is there else for, you know, yeah, what, what was the, the famous quote from Nikki Lauda? I always appreciated losing because from losing and failure, I learned more. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I don't think that's the exact quote, but I, it was more I, or less the same. That's more or less the gist of it. I, I also think, as fantastic as a manager as he is, some of the players he's picking in certain positions are bizarre. So playing Rico Lewis, who is a a right back by trade, <laughs> in the the middle of midfield alongside Rodri, when and you've got Mateus Nunez, Mateo Kovacic, and Calvin Phillips on the bench to only then make a one sub in the ninety sixth minute, <laughs> and that's to bring John Stones on for Rico Lewis. I know Calvin Phillips hasn't had the best time at Man City. He's going to leave. Yeah. In January, you know, Newcastle want him, Juventus want him. Uh, I did see United's name, but no thanks. <laughs> but it's it's not just that. You know, Jack Grealish, £100 million. £100 million Great British pounds sterling. £100 million pounds quid. And he's only recently just scored his 50th career goal. In, in, not, not for City. Talking... Not for City. In total. When do we start talking about the fact, well, when do we start asking the questions, is Jack Grealish a flop? Well, it's difficult to ask those questions because City have just won a treble. They've won something every year he's been there. You know, Josko Gvardiol, I know he's having to play at left back, he's a centre back, and if you ask him where he wants to play, he'll tell you he wants to play at centre back. It's not worked out fantastic for him. We've already spoken about Calvin Phillips and Mateus Nunez for Wolves. He was great for Wolves. But why do Man City need him if they're not going to play him? You know, they've lost Gundogan. Great. But you've also got Mateo Kovacic in, who doesn't seem to be getting a, a sniff. That's £350 million worth of talent not being utilised and or not performing properly. But it's difficult to say their flops because City up to this point have won something every season. You could look back at those Real Madrid side that won five Champions Leagues in a row. You could look at Barca's treble winning side, your treble winning side, and you could pick out three or four passengers in that team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think it's easy to point out the failures and the flops at Chelsea and United to a lesser extent, Liverpool, because they're playing very well. But it's easy to go, oh, well, you know, Mikhailo Mudrik and Anthony there, they're not doing very well. Or, well, those are the two examples that come to the to the top of my mind. So 
let's see where we are at the end of the season. Because if they don't win the Premier League or if they don't win anything, then I think we can have that conversation. But up to now, I think it's probably a bit unfair to go, he's a flop. I don't like Jack Grealish at all. I don't see what he offers. I don't see what he brings, other than the occasional dive. But that's that's my personal opinion. He clearly does bring things, but if I see one more person talk about how many pre-assists he brings, I'm going to punch my like punch myself in the face. Well, I think I don't have anything more to add to that. That is a pretty succinct analysis of the situation at City because you know people will be very quick to judge um based on a you know a loss of form but like you already said they had a positively awful run of form and then went on to win 18 straight games or whatever whatever it was so let's see what happens at the end of the season we will leave it there for this week we have a couple of midweek games in the bundesliga and then a winter break but the premier league Going steady, going strong. We will give you more episodes over the Christmas break, of course. But as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to 50 Plus One Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One Football Show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. And as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.